0: Will you pray with me as we come now to study the Bible? Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come now to your word, we pray that it would do what you have promised that it would do, that it is living and active, that it penetrates right through the deepest parts of our hearts, cutting through joint, sinew, marrow, right down to the deepest part of who we are healing, the broken, humbling, the arrogant, and exalting you. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit that this moment as we study the Bible, it would not be purely or merely an intellectual exercise, but with truth understood by your Spirit you would transform us that our affections our desires will be orientated towards you jesus as we see you name above all names and we ask this in your name amen if jesus is the answer what is the question many people today wonder They do not think they need saving because they do not think they have anything from which to be saved. Hence, they ask if Jesus is the answer, what's the question? Why do I need a Savior like Jesus? I'm a good person, they say to themselves, perhaps to you when you try to talk about Jesus. They feel that they are relatively even more righteous than other people, and so they see no real personal need for Jesus. If Jesus is the answer. What's the question? What can we say to this kind of objection to historic Christian truth? After all, Paul is saying throughout this section of his letter to the Romans that we're considering together at College Church that we all need Jesus He concludes in chapter 3 verse 20 with a statement that we all need Jesus like this. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, we all need Jesus. And yet, if Jesus is the answer, what is the question? Well, you see, in these verses that we're looking at this morning that objection to Paul's conclusion from the person who views themselves as basically morally good is addressed. So in Romans 2 verses 12 to 16, it's page 940 in the Pew Bibles, Paul writes, For all have sinned without the law, will also perish without the law. on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus so my main goal this morning is to respond to the objection of the person who thinks they are good and therefore does not Jesus by understanding believing declaring the unexpected gospel because it is Paul's gospel. First understanding. The right understanding of this passage is that those who hear the law of Moses and those who hear their own moral conscience are both condemned if they do not keep that law and therefore can only be saved through faith in Jesus. The easiest way to understand this is to notice the basic structure of this passage. Verses 13 to 15 are put in brackets in some English translations because they are a parenthetical statement. That is, verse 12 leads directly to verse 16 with verses 13 to 15 being an explanation. So we could read it like this. For all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all have sinned under the law will be judged by the law on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We don't understand the structure, otherwise uh, the connection between verse 15 and 16 makes no sense. Our hearts will not excuse us on the day of judgment, for there will be no excuses on a purely human basis on that day. Now, the right understanding of this passage then is to see that Paul makes one main point, verse 12 concluding in verse 16 with a parenthetical statement explaining that main point in the middle, verses 13 to 15. What is that main point? The main point is that whether we have the law or we do not have the law, all of us break the law and that this will be shown on the Day of Judgment. Paul teaches what few churches dare whisper. They will perish, meaning eternal separation from God. There will be a day of judgment when the secrets of hearts will be judged, and that judgment will be by Jesus Christ. And isn't it amazing that there are so-called Christian? philosophies, messages, teachings today who say that Paul's gospel is not about life after death. In fact, Jesus tells us in John's gospel this, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father, John five, twenty-two, twenty-three. 23 Now, as we consider this main point and attempt clearly to understand it and start to feel its force as we understand it, let us view it in the context of Paul's gospel goal in this whole section, to lead us to realize that no one is good enough on their own merits and we all need Jesus to take away our sin and therefore lead us to appreciate Jesus all the more, honor Him all the more, worship Him. what he has done on the cross now if the main point of this passage is a statement about God's judgment by Jesus Christ what is the subsidiary point in parenthesis from verses 13 to 15 well Paul is explaining why it is true that no one has kept the law righteously and perfectly he answers two objections to that idea of God's righteous condemnation. First, there's the person who has the law of Moses who could object that because they have that law, therefore they are righteous. So Paul writes, verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now notice very carefully Paul does not say that anyone will be justified, declared to be righteous, that anyone will be justified by doing the law. That's not his point here at all. Nowhere here does Paul say that there are some people who keep the law who are righteous, Oh, no, no, Paul's thinking of the religious Jew who has heard the law of Moses read and thinks that merely by hearing the law, that merely by being a hearer of the law, they will be saved. Of course, there have always been many people like that who think in a similar way. They think that because they have heard the Bible or are present when the scriptures were read or taught, that's enough to be saved. Paul says uh, that if we think like this, we're really misunderstanding the law that we are hearing. The law is not saying that merely to listen is enough. The whole message of the law is to obey it, of course, to be doers of the law. And yet, no one does perfectly obey the law. Second objection is from the Gentiles, who could say that they are moral by their own standards. Well, Paul answers that objection in verses 14 and 15, where he writes this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Now, it's important to see here, my friends, that Paul is actually giving three answers to this objection from the Gentiles, those outside uh, the covenant given to Israel. Here, the, here they are. One, when they by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. It's just a phrase. What does Paul mean? Paul means this. Paul is saying that even when Gentiles sometimes do what is right, they are actually at that moment, recognizing that there is a moral standard of right and wrong. (laughs) Of course, they do not always do what is right, but even when they do, they're recognizing that there is such a standard. And by that standard, which they fail perfectly to keep, although they recognize it, they will be judged. Two, the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying that conscience indicates that they do not keep even their own moral standards. So by the phrase, the law written on their hearts, Paul, as he says here, means conscience. Conscience is not a perfect guide, of course. Conscience can be educated or it can be spoilt. Conscience is a guide to what is wrong more than a guide to what is right, still we are to listen to our conscience even though it is not perfect because it's wrong to sin against conscience. As Paul says later in Romans when he addresses a different topic, every man should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so the Gentile, like every person, has a conscience, and their conscience witnesses to them that they're not perfect that not only that there is a moral standard, but that they themselves know that they do not keep that moral standard. Three, their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So here Paul is describing, isn't he, that internal conflict in the Gentiles' mind, excusing or even accusing, that shows that Though they sometimes think they do what is right, a lot of times they know they do not. They even accuse themselves. So first then, the right understanding of this passage, we can see when we structure it correctly, is as follows. Those who hear the law of Moses and those who hear their own moral conscience do not keep the law, and therefore they can only be saved through faith in Jesus. If Jesus is the answer, what is the question? Well, the question is how can we be right before a holy God? For no one is. Second, believing. And that is the right understanding of the passage. Is it believable, truly? Is it really believable that no humans are good by the standards of the law of Moses or the standards of human conscience, and therefore all will be rightly condemned on the day of judgment unless they believe in Jesus? Is that actually believable? Two answers are given from the text. One, the law is not merely external and formal, but internal and radical. It is not only to be heard, it is to be obeyed, and it is not only to be obeyed in what we do, but also in the secret places of our hearts. That is what we think, feel, say, and will. See, my friends, if we accept Jesus, and therefore we accept his authority as he summarizes the law, it would not be hard to believe what Paul is arguing. Jesus summarized the law like this: "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourselves." And so when someone comes up to us and they says, "Well, they say, "Well, I, I'm not sure I need Jesus. I'm a perfectly good person." At the end of the day, on, if I do have any kind of judgment for God, there'll be a weighing up of good things and bad things. I've done more good things than bad things." someone argues like that, we can simply ask them whether they love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and whether they love their neighbor as themselves. You see, our grasp of what it means to keep the commandments must not be minimalized by the facetious reductionism of biblical illiteracy. In other words, Following the law does not mean just not murdering. It means avoiding hate. Not just not physically committing adultery, but not lusting, etc. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourselves. Two, the other answer that helps us believe that uh, what Paul is saying here is really the case From this text we can see that he's saying that those who have not read the law or heard the Bible are judged based upon what they do know. So people will say, won't they, that it's unfair for someone to be judged because they have uh, not obeyed the gospel when they have not heard the gospel. Such people in the furthest corners of the globe that perhaps have not heard the gospel will not be judged because they reject the gospel they have not heard, but because they break the law written on their own hearts. Two common questions are further frequently asked about this. What, someone often asks, does that mean for the Old Testament saints, that is the Old Testament followers of God, David, and all the rest those who were declared righteous in the Old Testament. Well, no one in the Old Testament was declared righteous because they had fully and perfectly obeyed the law. Far from it. They knew that there was a whole series of stipulations and ordinances related to sacrifice. You see, the whole point of that whole system was to teach everyone who observed it and believed it that they were not righteous. They had to have a sin offering. They had to have the Passover. They had to have the blood of goats or lambs. They knew that such things were not sufficient in themselves, but were pointing somewhere. And the Spirit of God in the prophets pointed ahead to the fulfillment of the sacrificial system in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so, in other words, the saints in the Old Testament were saved by Jesus. The Jesus not yet born, but to whom the whole sacrificial system pointed. What then someone else often asks about those who have never heard the gospel? Well, the final answer to that question is that we must focus on what we do know from the Bible when we think of the furthest corners of the globe and some tribe that perhaps has not yet had the opportunity in any any way to hear the gospel. We must focus on what we do know. We do know that we are all sinners and that only through faith in Christ can we be saved, and we do know that God will judge rightly. It is not true that the Bible lays any hope anywhere for someone to be saved through faith in some other God or by their own moral efforts. The only role of the law or moral conscience is to convict of sin and to show the need of a Savior. Of course, this is the great reason for missionary effort around the globe. As Paul writes later in Romans, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them, and how can they preach unless they are sent? And therefore, College Church gives so much effort to sending missionaries all around the globe to reach the least reach. There's a necessity of hearing the gospel to be saved. Of course, though, the Bible does not tell us in great detail exactly what will happen to those who have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel in any sense whatsoever. And it does not tell us exactly the answer to that theoretical question for one very good reason. The Bible is a book written for those who will read it, not for those who will not. In other words, the Bible is not a textbook of theoretical answers to theoretical questions. By its very definition, anyone who asks that question must have read the Bible. The Bible is a practical book written to cause us to realize that Christ is the Savior and to follow Him by His Spirit with every part of our life. You can't get out of that question by posing theoretical questions. These verses nowhere suggest that there is some innocency of original state whereby there'll be an easier judgment for those who've never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. If that were the case, there'd be no point in telling them, for it would make their condition more difficult, not easier, for now they'd have a higher standard to live up to. Paul is saying that God's judgment on the Gentiles is fairly based upon the law written in their hearts, in their conscience, That sense that we all have of moral standards that everyone everywhere knows they do not keep. And so the darkest, most distant tribe in the most hidden jungle has standards of right behavior. Not murder, not stealing, and other moral principles that are ubiquitous. Right across the globe, obvious and easily proven to be the case. On the basis of this law written in the hearts of all, is humanity to be judged fairly, Jew and Gentile? And the only way to be saved is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, therefore. If Jesus is the answer, what is the question? The question is no one can be saved except through him. How then should we be saved? So second, is it really believable that humans are not good by the standards of the law of Moses or the standards of human conscience and therefore will be rightly condemned on the day of judgment if they have not believed in Jesus? Yes, it is believable. Because those who have not heard the gospel are not condemned by not having heard the gospel, and the base is not keeping to the witness of their moral conscience. That that theoretical question about the tribe in some theoretical place that has never had the opportunity is by its very nature only possible to be asked by those who have had the opportunity, such as ourselves. And so we must focus on what we do know that is in the Bible, that only through Christ may we be saved, and that And Those who have not trusted in him are condemned based on their failure to do the works of the law, even that which is written in their hearts, even if they haven't heard the law of Moses. Understanding, believing, for declaring. Well, of course, uh, my friends, the unexpected part of this passage is that Paul declares that the day of judgment is according to my gospel. (laughs) How can judgment be a part of the good news? Gospel is good news. How can judgment be a part of the good news that Paul is declaring? In what sense are these few verses gospel or good news or a declaration of how to be saved? The gospel is something you declare. How is this a declaration of how to be saved? How is it gospel? How is it good news? Because central to the biblical gospel is a declaration of how to be saved from God's wrath on that day. And the very fact that this part of the gospel seems so unexpected shows how far we have moved from the biblical gospel. Our gospel is truncated, it is ameliorated, it is is bowdlerised and prepackaged and sanitized and commercialized. It is rarely a declaration of how to be saved from wrath on that day. And so we ask ourselves, why is it the people are not willing to give towards the cause of Christ? Or we ask ourselves, why is it that people rather have a nice vacation than give towards the cause of Christ? Or we ask ourselves, why is it someone can adopt Christian camouflage in Christian environments but then switch behavioral dress to fit in equally well in other contexts? And the answer is, at least in part, because we find this gospel so unexpected. The gospel is not only about living happily today, though it is about that, certainly. And The gospel is a declaration of salvation from condemnation. Today, our gospel is salvation from boredom or business or laziness or failure. And we wonder why people do not give their all to that that message. Not until we can read this passage and not find it unexpected that Paul uses the word gospel in this context, will we have begun to understand, let alone believe, let alone declare the biblical gospel that Paul called his Because he believed it so passionately, this is my gospel, no other gospel, this one. Until we have that sense, we won't have a good answer to why it is that we find it so hard to invite our neighbors to church, why it is we find it so hard to embrace change, why it is that we find it so hard to be happy. We live in a part of the world where we have more resources, more things, more stuff, more privilege. than most people in the world could imagine. And yet, are we content? <laughs> I've been asking myself this, these kind of questions and wrestling with what Paul says here. This is my gospel. This one here, Paul's. And as I've been wrestling with it and asking myself these kind of questions, an image has come to my mind. I've seen many things in my life, but I have never yet seen a man rescued from drowning complain about the color of the boat into which he is rescued. Only people who have never been rescued worry about such matters. The rescued are glad to be safe. If Jesus is the answer, what is the question? Well, the only question that matters is this are you saved I did not ask whether you have heard about God or the Bible or church I did not ask whether you are good for no one truly is none of us I ask are you rescued? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be. Well, may we understand, believe, and declare the unexpected gospel, because it is Paul's gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, as we come now to the table, we pray that the message that we have heard, the the passage that we have been studying, would resonate in our minds and hearts, that it would reorientate our lives around your truth That would give us contentment, joy like the rescued, for that is who we are. If we have believed in Jesus, we pray. uh, Lord, that this truth would dig deep into our hearts and by your Spirit transform us to be those who understand, believe, and declare this gospel. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.